0: This program is part of the Cosmic Potato Podcast Network. For more shows like this, visit our website at cosmicpotato.com. Accessing data files, initiating program.
1: Welcome to Cosmic Potato, the
2: Super Fan Talk Podcast.
0: Downloading Sean.
1: My name is Sean Ray. And I don't know why people hate Nickelback.
3: Easy peasy lemon squeezy. Downloading John.
4: The the one benefit to uh,
2: getting fat is that I don't have to iron my clothes as much.
3: If you're going to build a time machine into a car, why
2: not do it with some style? We've got you covered with everything from Marvel to Star Wars. I'm glad you asked that because I wanted to take this time to explain my evil plan. Downloading Rick. Did you know that elephants are made entirely out of Rocky Road ice cream? Classic films, trivia games, and beyond. He's looking at you, kid.
0: Accessing guest files.
3: N C C one seven zero
2: one. No bloody a. Huh? Joni loves Shachi is the epitome. You beat me to it, you bastard. B. Uh,
4: I wasn't listening. Sorry. Oh, good boy. <laughs> <laughs>
1: C. I've never felt more like a northerner than I do right now.
3: <laughs> <laughs> or
4: D. If you're wondering how this is going to play out, just watch A Bug's Life. It's basically the same plot. Get to the coast, get
1: together, have a few laughs.
4: Now, on with the show. Keep the change, you filthy animal.
1: Hey everybody and welcome to Cosmic Potato, this super fan talk podcast. My name is Sean Ray and I will be your server this evening. And uh, joining me on the mic tonight are a couple of guys that you've heard before. First of all, we've got Rick. How are you, sir?
2: I'll take a strawberry daiquiri, please.
1: Coming right up. (laughs) (laughs) And from the World War G podcast, which can be heard right here on the network, is Troy Wood. How are you? I'm good, and it is one minute
4: to bomb
1: time. (laughs) (laughs) This is going to be our third It's the third installment. The third installment of our classic movie series. and uh, If you haven't been listening, what we've been doing is Troy and I have been going through the IMDb list of the 100 greatest movies of all time. uh, According to that list, what is the 100 greatest movies of all time. And we've done uh, about six of the movies so far. We've done two episodes of uh, three movies each. And we got to uh, noticing that this list is pretty light on science fiction. So, yes, uh, so we decided that is correct. Yeah, it is. I mean, I went back through it yesterday. There's I don't think there's any science fiction on <laughs> the list at all. So, uh, so we decided to do an episode where we're just going to watch some classic science fiction, uh, movies. And, uh, Rick gave us some suggestions. So I asked him to join us tonight to talk about those suggestions. So, um, this month we are going to take on three. Classic and iconic science fiction films. This is not the definitive three. We'll do more as we go on, but uh, we're going to talk about *The Day the Earth Stood Still*, *The War of the Worlds*, and *Forbidden Planet*, and uh, and we'll do them in that order. <laughs> so,
3: <laughs> we interrupt this program to give you a bulletin just received from one of our naval units at sea. A large object traveling at supersonic speed is headed over the North Atlantic toward the east coast of the United States. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Drew Pearson. We bring you this special radio television broadcast in order to give you the very latest information on an amazing phenomenon. The arrival of a spaceship in Washington. The Army has taken every precaution to meet any emergency which may develop. Just a minute, ladies and gentlemen. I think something is happening. I came here to give you these facts. But if you threaten to extend your violence, this Earth of yours will be reduced to a burned-out cinder. But he's a robot. Without you, what could he do? There's no limit to what he could do. He could destroy the Earth.
1: All vehicles, close in. Let's go. So uh, so first, we'll talk about uh, The Day the Earth Stood still from 1951, starring... And you guys forgive me if I'm mispronouncing some of these people's names. Because these are actors that I really haven't heard of until I watch <laughs> these movies. But uh, Michael Rennie and uh, Patricia Neal, I hadn't heard of her before. And I would be remiss if I didn't mention that Francis, Francis Bavier... Was in a couple of scenes because she's Aunt B from the Andy Griffith show. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and pretty
2: uh, much playing Aunt B. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, pretty much. You know, it's it's weird when you see somebody that you when you grow up seeing a, a, an actor, or an actress in a TV show, over and, over and over and over and over, and then you see them in something else, play, playing a different part, and you forgot. Oh yeah, that's an actress that played like other things. <laughs> <laughs> I remember uh, when I was probably about twenty, I watched. Um, What's the the Mia Farrow um, horror movie that she was in? Um, Rosemary's Baby. I watched Rosemary's yeah. Baby, and I can't remember the actress's name, but the woman that played Miss Clara on The Andrew Griffith Show, which was one of Aunt B's friends. She's in that movie. And in the last <laughs> scene, she's hollering, Hail Satan! Hail Satan! <laughs> <laughs> and that freaked me out. <laughs>
2: Well, you know, it's it's funny you mentioned that because I just thought of, this biz- of a bizarre connection between um, The Day the Earth Stood Still and The Wizard of Oz and what you're talking about. Because um, Patricia Neal, when I was a kid, I knew her as – she did coffee commercials. I don't remember which brand of coffee anymore. Um, but the woman who played the Wicked Witch of the West uh, also was the kindly uh, store – Keeper, Cora, in oh, yeah. <laughs> Maxwell House commercials yeah. around the same time. <laughs> and then I realized someday, some, at some point in my youth, I realized, wait a minute, that's the Wicked Witch. And it was just like my little brain went.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think she showed up in Sesame Street at one
2: point. <laughs> at one oh, point yeah. <laughs> so. Wow.
4: Yeah, she me. was on She was on Mr. Rogers as
1: well. Yeah. She yeah. made an appearance. Yep. IMDB. Summarizes- oh, that's
2: right. Showing her costume.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, what, what, was, she, was she in makeup and everything too? Or was she just, I don't remember.
2: I no, re- she I just, just had the there, witch but, outfit and yeah. she, she was talking about wearing it. And, and, uh, yeah,
1: because the he witch was to the West freaked me out when I was a kid. <laughs> well,
2: well that, that was Mr. Rogers whole thing was showing that, you know, here she, she's pretending to be a villain, but she's really this sweet lady. And this is her costume as, you know, he was trying to kind of take the scary away for kids. Right. Yeah. was. Yeah. he was so good at doing it.
1: IMDB summarizes the plot, um, an alien lands and tells the people of earth that they must live peacefully or be destroyed as a danger to other planets. Obviously there's a lot more to it. Distillation. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. IMDB is great at that. But, uh, but in a nutshell, um, is it Klaatu? Am I pronouncing that right? Klaatu. Yeah. Klaatu. He is from another planet and I don't think they ever say what the name of his home planet is, but, uh, he comes to Earth and he makes this warning, like I said before, unsurprisingly the first thing that we do is shoot him.
4: <laughs> <laughs> right. And yeah. He, and he winds course. up
1: in the hospital. And he won't talk to anybody about why he's there because he wants to talk to all the leaders of the world at once. So let's just go around and kind of give an idea of what we think of this of
2: of this movie overall, Rick. That's all right. <laughs> <laughs> Good night, folks. <both>. Uh, I, <laughs> I love this movie so much. Um, it is. It can. I think. Uh, let me see. Uh, Forbidden Planet was fifty three, right? So yeah, 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 this came before. No, this 50, was fifty one. This was fifty one. Yeah. Yeah, this was fifty one, but Forbidden Planet is fifty three. Yeah, okay. Fifty um, six, actually. <laughs> no. According, the to world, I worlds was fifty three. And uh, wait, what? Plan, oh, Forbidden Planet is fifty six. It is Jinkies. Okay, uh, <laughs> I apologize, um, but okay, still, <laughs> the point yeah. I was trying to make is still Pretty good. Um, uh, the day the Earth stood still is can you can really say that this is the point where science fiction uh, cinema grew up and and stopped being just for kids. Yeah. Um, now this was directed by Robert Weiss. Wise. Uh, very expensive for 1951. I think it cost a million dollars, um, which is not that was not small change back then. Um, and while if you look at it through the lens of uh, modernity, uh, it hits every science fiction trope. You know the, the the flying saucer, the theremin music, the the creepy angles. Um, but this is where they came from. This is why these things became a trope, because this movie is such a classic that it set the it set the stage for a million ripoffs, um, you know, kind of like Alien did, you know, in 1979, when all of a sudden people realized, hey, you can do scary. You can make science fiction horror actually scary. And then, you know, a dozen other companies found out that they really weren't that good at doing it. Um day the earth stood still just it it's just this shining beacon of of um gravitas in a sea of silly ray guns and and spaceships with sparklers for engines and stuff and it's it's just it's a brilliant piece of cinema,
1: yeah I think when it uses its special effects, I think they're a little more effective because for the most part this movie it feels kind of small to me because it's like. The alien looks like a person. You know, he doesn't look like... a He doesn't have, like, a lot of heavy makeup and stuff like that. So he's able to... Uh, uh, you know, most of their scenes take place in, like, the regular city and regular houses and stuff like that. It's just kind of bookended with, you know, you've got the spaceship landing at the beginning. And then you got the stuff with uh, Gort towards the end and all that. But for the most part, the movie in the middle is just... It's just a movie, you know. There's not there's not yeah. a ton of flash and bang and all that kind of stuff, and it lets the story take over. So when they when they had a lot of money for their effects, then they were able to use that more effectively by by keeping it kind of centered at the beginning and at the end. Yeah. So. Go ahead, Troy.
4: Um, I think just just to uh, kind of echo what um, Rick was saying, you know, uh, yeah, this is. An, an older film, and if you're looking through, um, you know, a lens of today, yeah, it's it's kind of goofy and it's really dated and everything, but it it still holds up in the fact that it's a good story, and the morals behind the story still hold up today. Um, and when when they do show, you know, a little bit of the alien technology and the robot and stuff like that they don't overdo it you know it's it's very simply done and it's done effectively um and and i appreciated the fact that claw 2 wasn't this scary looking alien that he was just a a normal looking guy with above average or i guess genius intellect and a few few other things but and I also appreciated the fact, because I, I sometimes have issues with older films like this, because they kind of tend to take a while to get going. But this one, just right out of the gate, the ship lands, the army's there, and we're off and going. Yeah. Yeah, and, and it's, it's, it's really, um, I can see why it's such a, a loved film. Because it's, you know, it, it still holds up. To this day um, and uh, it's it's a lot of it really is a lot of fun it's a fun film to watch
1: yeah um, I, I enjoyed this movie I, I, I al- I'm always interested in a sci-fi story like I said before that doesn't really rely heavily on the special effects to get the story across um, even though it's a global story Mm-hmm. Is small in that you know there's there's just a few key characters. Uh, Patricia Neal said in an interview later, years later, that she did not realize that the film was taking itself seriously. <laughs> she <laughs> she thought she was making one of those 50s style sci fi movies that came out that were a diamond dime, dime dozen at that time, and uh, and so that's why there's a lot of scenes where her lines when she she, she seems kind of aloof with her dialogue and stuff. And, uh, yeah. and that's why she, she wasn't and a lot of those scenes. She wasn't really taking it seriously. Um, I like there's, there's, there's a lot of imagery that I, that I got a kick out of like the fact that he just carries diamonds around in his pockets. <laughs> like it's nothing, <laughs> you know, here, you think this is enough? Uh, yeah, yeah, that's enough. <laughs> um, and it's pretty obvious to me, now Robert Wise said that he didn't realize this until years later, but it, it had a pretty obvious Christ allegory to me. Did that stand out to you guys?
2: Um, I mean, other than the fact that he no? is brought back to life, but that's well, okay. A so little... he comes from a, okay,
1: and th- this is this is coming from IMDb because it, it kind of just kind of put all of it together. But he comes from another world. He chooses the name Mister Carpenter, you know. Um, oh yeah, now I remember hearing yeah. about this. He came, yeah, I still don't believe to, it. <laughs> <laughs> he came to warn <laughs> us about the destruction of Earth, and mm. uh, and that we're gonna, it, you know, we're gonna face destruction if we don't believe in him, and 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 that kind of thing. Um, I, it stood out to me. I saw I but you know, like I said, I was raised in I was raised in church, so that a lot of that stuff just kinda <laughs> slaps me in the face when <laughs> when I see it. But uh but yeah, the uh, the direct Robert Wise said he didn't even see it until until years later. But you know, just the fact that he says, Yeah, my name is Mr.
2: Carpenter ha
1: ha ha, Mr. Carpenter, I get it, you know. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I'm 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 too much of a heathen for that stuff to stand out unless it's really obvious. Well I am I am now, but you know, like Kyle floating away from a spaceship door with his arms out to his you know then then I get it. Yeah, yeah.
4: Yeah, hey, I I live I live in Utah and I, I still didn't make that connection.
1: <laughs> I did like when so he goes does, to, go ahead.
4: Does that mean that uh Gort is God?
1: I don't. And I say I didn't. I didn't follow it that that far. But <laughs> but you know he did. I mean he did. He died and he came back to life. Uh, uh, right. his, his flying saucer is seen by people of the film. People in Jerusalem and Ju- this is from IMDb. People in Jerusalem and Judea saw flying chariots and soldiers in the sky uh, before the, the the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD and, and and all that kind of stuff. So that's IMDb takes it that far. I didn't take it that far. <laughs> it's just like, you know, <laughs> he's a carpenter that came to earth to, t- to tell us, you know, stop doing what you're doing or be destroyed. Okay.
2: <laughs> well, okay, I, I'm trying, you know, it's been a long time since I've read the First Testament. Who was Jesus's enforcer? Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: he had a gort. You knew like <laughs> Gort in 2nd in, in, in Gort uh, 312.
4: <laughs> Thus saith <safe> Gort.
1: Yeah. <laughs> now, I did like when he goes to see the professor, and that old man didn't take a lot of convincing. All Klaatu all had to do was finish his math problem. <laughs> and and uh, mm-hmm. one line that really stood out to me is because Cl- he did not seem like a violent guy. I mean, obviously, he's there to tell us... Uh, Either stop fighting, or Earth is going to be eliminated. You know, but he didn't really do anything violent. But when he's talking to that professor, he does make the comment: "What do I have to do to get everybody's attention? Do I have to wipe out New York?" <laughs> you
2: know, it's <laughs> <I was> like <laughs> wow. <Yeah. laughs> um, well, that's the thing. He doesn't. He doesn't have to be violent because you know he, he says we created the the Gorts, or you know I forget what exactly how he phrased it, but uh, they they created the the Gort robots to police the galaxy mm-hmm. and prevent anyone from becoming a threat to anyone else they you know this is where the message of the movie kind of rankles a little bit um you know i i certainly see the where it came from the atmosphere in the 1950s of you know these were made by people who either they were having to have nuclear attack drills or their children were um you know, this is this is the time when Godzilla was being envisioned. When mm-hmm. people saw firsthand what happens when you drop a nuclear weapon on on a city or two. Uh, so, the idea of uh, a civilization or or a, you know a federation <laughs> of civilizations <laughs> that have willingly uh, willingly abrogated their right to be violent and put that. The enforcement into the hands of an unimpeachable um uh it, oh, what's the word i'm looking for like emotionless yeah. it uh dispassionate yeah third party that has you know the ultimate judgment over of life and death of a of an entire planet uh i, I could see where that comes from i'm not so sure i to, you know i don't think i totally agree with with the message they're saying, like this should happen, because um, it, it seems to me that the movie is kind of saying we kind we, we cannot be trusted on our own. Therefore, uh, you know we need a a an eight foot tall robot and lots of them like it to make sure we behave. Mm-hmm. And while I you know things aren't a whole lot better today than they were in 1951, I still think maybe you know. Maybe I'm a little, still a little bit arrogant to think that, you know, I, I like the, the the Star Trek future better than the day the Earth stood still future. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, uh, well, okay. Let's talk about Gort for a minute. So he, he's he's this powerful robot that, uh, and Klaatu says that he he can destroy the planet if he wants. Um, the most we really see him do is kill a couple of soldiers with a death ray that comes out of his helmet. Uh, but he's kind of like a... He's a failsafe. So he can't be destroyed even though Klaatu can. So in the event that he can't complete his task, then I guess Gort is supposed to just destroy the planet. Yep. But, of course, <laughs> yeah. Uh, humanity's good side, mainly the kid and his mom, get to Klaatu and, and, and he tells her what the magic words are to make Gort stop his rampage. And, and the, the, the words are Klaatu Barada Nicto, which are... The most famous magic words in movies now. <laughs>
2: but, well, they're not they're not magic words. They're say she, the the message is klaatu has been hurt. Go get him.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. But now that yeah because they've become magic words in uh, uh, Army of Darkness. Yeah, Army of Darkness and <laughs> a lot of other stuff. I mean, but that's probably the the big the biggest.
4: Yeah, there were there were several three aliens on Jabba's barge in Return <laughs> of the Jedi. That yeah. were named Clatu, Barada, and Nikto. Right. right.
1: Yeah. <laughs> but, um, so, Clatu does eventually get killed, and Gort temporarily brings him back to life long enough to give Earth its warning. Um, I really do like the way the movie ends, because it's it's like, there's still a question in the air as to what's going to happen. You know, we we don't know. If, well, is Earth going to do what they're told? Or, or are they going to be destroyed? We don't know. That's the end of the movie. So, if Earth goes to space and there's still a race of people that fight with one another, then the planet will be erased and, and all of that. So, I, I, I like that openness to the, to the ending where they, they didn't just define it for you.
2: They they made you have to yeah. kind of think about it, I guess. Well, we and we... we uh maybe should address the title a little bit because uh many many years ago god i hate the thought of being able to say that phrase uh in the early days of starbase 66 we we did a an episode on this movie and forbidden planet um and so that's that's when i I picked up the the blu-ray and uh and and watched it really closely and with director's comment. Uh, one of the funniest things on the director's commentary. Uh, total total sidetrack here, but um, just to give you an idea of how lifespans have changed just in our or our parents' lifetimes, Listening to Robert Wise, he talks about Michael Rainey. He's like, yes, this young man came in to see me. Now, you look at Michael Rainey. He looks like he's probably in his 50s. 50s. <laughs> yeah, he was yeah. 34 when they shot that movie. Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, anyway. Um, uh, oh, the title. Um, so, I, you know, I'm watching the movie for the first time in years And I and it didn't occur to me that the title they had they had trouble coming up with a title for this movie. And it kind of shows because even though it's a classic and everybody just kind of, you know, just treats it as such. Now, the title is kind of stupid (laughs) because (laughs) The Day the Earth Stood Still is referring to Klaatu's demonstration of power where he just freezes all technology for for two minutes or whatever, Mm -hmm. which is incredibly anticlimactic. Even, you know, maybe it was scarier back then. But I had to think about it afterwards. I was like, oh, that's what it's talking about. Because, um, you know, it's, it's, it's brilliant in that it's a nonviolent demonstration because, uh, you know, airplanes just stop in the air. They don't start – you know, it's not like they shut down all the power and everything. You know, planes drop and people die in hospitals and stuff. It's just everything stops. For two minutes, and then it picks up again.
1: Well, I think and they that, said. I think they said there was a, a couple of drop lines during that. I think they said that it didn't affect the the airplanes, and it didn't affect the hospitals. Oh, that's right.
0: That's right. Stuff yeah. like that.
1: Anything where somebody would die if it stopped. <laughs> right. Basically, it kept going. They did show like a roller coaster was just stopped, and the people yeah. were trapped on the roller coaster and stuff like that.
2: So. But, uh, but yeah, I I think it, it's just it's one of those things that it's a great title. Just as a title, but if you think about it too hard, it's like eh, couldn't do better than that. <laughs> yeah. See. Yeah. Well, it, and it's and better I, than
1: it's better than calling it the because the short story it was based on was called Farewell to the Master, so it's better than calling yeah, it and that. Yeah. Worky. Go ahead, throw saying something.
4: Yeah, I, I was gonna say, and I read uh, I read that differently as far as the title goes. I thought it was more talking about the entire Earth. Kind of stopped and was watching what was going on and was waiting and seeing what this other being was going to do. Um, that's that's kind of what I thought the title meant. But mm. I
2: like your you know. idea better. <laughs>
1: well, that's <laughs> <laughs> well because it, it, it seemed like after the after the spaceship landed and Klaatu was shot originally and then taken to the hospital, it seemed like. All the people in the in the city, at least the, the ones that we got to see, were trying to act like nothing was happening. It would be completely different if this was actually happening. If there was actually a spaceship that landed in New York, that's all mm-hmm. we would be talking about, you know. And all the, they would show like Aunt B sitting there, <laughs> you know, and she, and she keeps saying she keeps saying, "Oh, I don't want to think about that." And when
4: um, um Oh, shut up. All- the radio,
1: yeah, 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 and <laughs> yeah, the, 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 yeah. the the lady, um, and I keep forgetting her name. I have to keep going back to her to her name, but uh, Trisha Neal. Yeah, when her boyfriend comes to pick her up for their date, you know, he makes a comment like the best part is that the radio is on the fritz, so we don't have to listen about the spaceman. You know, it's like yeah. that's all I would want to <laughs> listen to is that. I, mean, I would be watching <laughs> CNN completely entirely, trying to hear about the spaceman. Yeah. You know, well, well and well, and then
4: her her son. Uh, you know goes and, and sees follows Clot 2 and sees a spaceship and all that and goes back and tells her and she's like, oh it's just a dream. You didn't <laughs> see you didn't actually see a spaceship. He's like, no, he did. We've all seen it. Like this is a real <laughs> thing that's happening. Right. It's like everybody just kind of went on with their normal lives after like a day.
2: Well, well she she also, she, like also a... Go ahead. she also let her uh, her ten year old son go out on the town with a stranger she had just met the day before yeah, so. yeah that's what
1: i was about to say that's a completely uh, 50s
2: mentality i guess where you meet
1: someone and two hours later you're letting your child just spend the day with
2: <laughs> you're not gonna molest him are you no of course not great have a wonderful day tommy <laughs> uh
1: the the body count was pretty low in this like like you said they, they did a he did a nonviolent uh demonstration no one mm-hmm. really got killed. The only people that I remember getting killed are the ones that Gort, the guards that Gort killed towards the end. Guards. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and that was, that was it. I mean, it was like maybe three or four people died in the whole, in the whole movie. So,
2: well, I'll a if you, if yeah.
1: you, well, yeah, for a, <laughs> for a movie about will. an alien invasion, you know, that's pretty, that's pretty low body count. <laughs> <laughs> um, I give it four stars. It's not, it's not like, it's not an epic but it gives you enough to think about, and the acting is pretty good. So it's a—I I would give it a recommend. What about you guys? I mean, I, I know what you're gonna say, but go ahead.
0: <laughs>
4: <laughs> go ahead, Troy. Okay. Well, um, you know, on, on World War G, when we rate movies, we always pick something in the movie to, to rate it by. Mm-hmm. And so, out of um, I'd say out of five uh, Gorts. Um, <laughs> I would I would give it probably probably a three and a half, um, and that's pretty high for me and, and a movie back in the '50s because I tend not to like
2: those very much. So, all right, both suck so badly. <laughs> <laughs> Out of five, this movie gets a six. Um, one of the one of the criteria I use for judging films is its uh, its longevity um you know there are some films that became classics undeservedly so uh some are classics just because everyone has said it's a classic for so long that that it just it, it just it's assumed to be and then you watch it and it's like eh, i i don't think this is one of them i think this movie is a bona fide classic um like i said earlier it this is the film That showed that science fiction cinema could be something other than just Buck Rogers or Rocky Jones or, or, you know, any of that, you know, if you've watched any of the stuff that was being done concurrently with this, the the serials, the the movies, it, it was all awful and it was all aimed at eight year old boys. And this was a movie that was aimed at adults. That was made by legitimate filmmakers. It had real money behind it, uh, and it had an, uh, an adult, sober storyline. As you know, like you said, uh, Sean, it doesn't overdo it with flashy effects or unnecessary effects. Uh, I think Gort is a, uh, a masterpiece of understatement and menace uh without resorting to any of the 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 you know cheesy horror tropes that were coming out of you know bella lagosi and and lon Chaney and stuff like that uh not that i have a problem with the i love dracula frankenstein the wolfman all of those things but they were they were of a different ilk i think this film carved a niche for itself and set the stage for what we consider to be good science fiction and and I still think I think the film itself holds up. I think the story is wonderfully streamlined. There's not a lot of of filler in here. I mean, it's not a long movie, um, and it doesn't waste any time. I think that the uh, the the scene with him with him finishing the doctor's calculation. Uh, I think that's a that that's a the perfect way for an emissary from beyond the Earth to introduce himself is to find. A, you know, a scientist and speak in math because that is kind of a universal language.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, it's easy to say I'm from another planet. Yeah, right. Here's a sanitarium down the street. But when he goes and says, "Oh, your 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 calculations here, you you don't know about this, so I'm going to put this in there." That's there's no way he's going to go. Oh, you're just a you know an escapee from an asylum. <laughs> he's he's going to know that this is a, he's actually what he says he is. Right. I think. This movie does everything perfectly, and I don't say perfect about a lot of movies, um, but I think this is one, and I think this gets five stars for me. Yeah, just I mean I've, I don't think I've ever given any movie five stars. <laughs> 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 I
1: always I always find some reason to make it four and a half or something like that. So uh,
0: well,
4: you know that was just, I mean that was sound reasoning and and uh, a good uh, good argument there. So I'm I'm gonna bump it up to four as well. I, I think you, know, was a problem.
1: <laughs> one thing that I like to do when we do these, uh, these classic shows is I, I look on IMDb and I find some facts, some like behind the scenes facts about the movie. And I picked out a few, uh, for this one. So, uh, the first one is that the, the role of Gort was played by Locke Martin. He was the doorman at Grauman's Chinese theater because he was extremely tall. However, he was also very frail. He was unable to pick up Helen because he was so weak, and he had to be aided by wires in in shots from the back where he's carrying her. It's actually like a lightweight dummy in his arms. Uh, Mm -hmm. He also had difficulty with the heavy Gort suit, and he could only stay in it for about a half an hour at a time.
2: Well, have you like look at that thing? It's you know it's it's probably half inch thick rubber. You know they didn't have lightweight. a neoprene or anything like that back then so yeah he was you know it's it's kind of like uh, uh the gorn the, the the gorn suit in star trek yeah he could only uh, and uh, bobby clark was the name of the actor inside that thing and uh and you know he could only do about 20 minutes at a time before they had to take the head off so he wouldn't pass out they just they did not have lightweight breathable costumes back then.
1: Yeah, and back then the, uh, the way it looked on camera was a lot more important than the safety of the person wearing it. Oh, so.
2: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Just ask Buddy Ebsen from Wizard of Oz.
1: Yeah, yeah. He almost mm-hmm. died from the aluminum dust that he had all over his face. Um, <laughs> in the original short story on which the screenplay is loosely based, the robot Gort was the master. Uh, Klaatu was merely one of a series of doubles or maybe clones that died after a short time. Uh, That would have sucked if they didn't (laughs) make it that way. (laughs) Uh, Like I said, this is where I got what I said before. Patricia Patricia Neal has admitted in interviews that she was completely unaware during filming that the film would turn out so well and become one of the great science fiction classics of the time. She assumed that it was just another one of the then current rather trashy flying saucer films, and she found it difficult to keep a straight face while she was saying her lines. Um as an homage to this film, George Lucas named two of the alien bounty hunters in his Star Wars trilogy, Klaatu and Barada nikto The scene um, of la- okay. yeah yeah uh, the scene of the large crowd fleeing the saucer area after Gort appears is all too obviously sped up film, making the shot look unnatural. <laughs> the reason for the sped up film uh, that effect was explained by director Robert Wise in an interview. It seemed that despite much pleading and cajoling. Uh, from him, the crowd of inexperienced extras portraying the saucer onlookers simply would not move away from the saucer quickly enough to look panicky and convincing. After several takes, uh, Wise finally had to move on with filming and reluctantly allowed the scene to be sped up in post-production knowing that the end result would probably probably look strange. It does. Yeah, that would be, <laughs> be hard. You, you keep telling no, you've got to act like you're panicked. And, ah. <laughs> We're acting! (laughs) Uh, Although he was already signed on to play the Einstein-like Professor Barnhart, the studio wanted to remove Sam Jaffe, I think is how you pronounce his name, as a result of the political witch hunts that were uh, underway. So this is a thing that may come up as we're talking about classic movies, but in the 50s they had this big communism blackball thing going on where a lot of actors were blackballed from acting because... Uh, sometimes they were communists, and sometimes someone just said that they were communists, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and they would uh, be banned from being in anything. So, um, this was his last Hollywood film until the late 1950s. Uh, so like I said, that may come up in future episodes because it happened a lot in the 50s. Uh, that, that is all. I did do a little extra work, I call it work, you may call it self harm. Uh, I, I watched <laughs> I watched the remake of uh, the Day the Earth Stood Still. Uh, it came out in 2008, <laughs> and it starred Keanu Reeves, Jennifer Connelly, and Jaden Smith. And I, I don't remember who directed it. I oh, didn't oh, write it down. Boy, doesn't matter.
2: They're a war crime <laughs> criminal.
1: <laughs> as far as remakes go. I mean, it wasn't terrible in the way that it was made. I mean, they stretched it out. They added things to it. They, they, there was a lot more CGI shots. But they, they, Gort was a completely CGI character, and they made him a giant. Instead of just being like 8 or 10 feet tall, they made him 50 feet tall. You know, he was huge. And, uh, and it was dated CGI because some, some of the shots of Gort make Jar Jar look great. You know, <laughs> but but uh, but other than that, I mean, it wasn't too bad until they get towards the end of the movie. They did some stuff to explain why Klaatu looked like a human because basically he took he was a shapeshifter and he took on the shape of some dude that he found in Alaska. Uh, but where it falls apart is at the end, uh, his motivations are changed. In the original, he's tasked with warning the earth that if they don't change their violent ways. Then the earth is going to be eliminated. In the remake, he's there to save the earth, but he's there to save the earth from us. So th- they say that mankind is the thing that's destroying the planet and we have to be wiped out. So it- it's not so much a. Um, it's not so much talking about our violent tendencies. It's more of an environmental film. You know? And then. And then at the end, you know, spoiler alert, at the end, he. Decides to save everybody instead, so they make him like the hero, you know. And it's it, it, it completely fell apart at the end, so I don't recommend the remake. <laughs> well,
2: as, as soon as I heard that it was that we are coming to destroy you because you're destroying your planet, I, I was like, that makes so none, no sense whatsoever. Uh, I, I realized I wanted nothing to do with the movie and and uh won't watch it ever unless, you know, it's a clockwork orange kind of thing where I'm strapped to a chair and my eyes are pried open. <laughs> uh. Yeah.
3: <laughs> we'll return after these messages.
2: Hey you listener, do I have everybody's attention now? You like professional wrestling? What? If so, you'll love Review Mania.
0: Where Rob and Zack break down every Wrestlemania You'll hear about great epic matches by the likes of Hulk Hogan And it gonna do when Hulkamania
3: and the largest arms in the world run wild on you?
0: Macho man Randy Savage Oh
3: yeah!
0: Ric Flair
3: Kid stealing! Woo! Wheel and dealing!
0: Limousine riding! Jet flying! Son of a gun! Bret Hart The best there is!
3: The best there was! And the best there ever will be!
0: Shawn Michaels Red Heart,
3: you are a zero, my hero,
0: John Cena. The champ is Cena! Rock Lesnar, Suplex City Bitch, and so many more that I don't have time to even name. Check out Review Mania right here on CosmicPotato.com or on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spreaker. It's a happening. Right here on CosmicPotato.com. Hey
4: everybody, I'm Troy. And I'm AJ. And we are the hosts of the World War G podcast, along with Colton, but he's not here right now. Yeah, so pay no attention. Uh, and we're a podcast about everything geek. We talk about, uh, movies, television. Video games, comic books. Uh, we got movie commentaries, the occasional taste tests, like these lovely pina colada Oreos. Just don't try the Coke ones. No. Dang. What do we say after that? <laughs> Dang it. Um,. So oh, okay, i am I'm. I'm ideas. Ideas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you can find us right here at CosmicPotato.com or at WorldWarG.Podbean.com. Or wherever else you get your podcasting fix. And as always,
3: stay geeky, my friends. This could be the beginning of the end for the human race. For what men first thought were meteors or the often ridiculed flying saucers are in reality the flaming vanguard of the invasion from Mars. Looks like they're going to come out of that gully pretty soon. We'll have to rush our defenses to be ready when they do. Jugs the need plenty of reinforcements. We'll get them. Lieutenant! Look! They slash across country like scythes, wiping out everything that's trying to get away from them. That explains why communication is cut the moment their machines begin moving. Montreal's blacked out. Nothing more has come through. Same thing that happened on the Pacific Coast. Anything from them yet? No, Mr. Secretary, we've had nothing from San Francisco for over five hours. The nations of the world mobilize their armed might, rushing to defend the Earth against the unknown weapons of the super race from the Red Planet. Is there nothing that can stop the Martian death machines? Guns, tanks, bombs, they're like toys against them. We know now that we can't beat their machines. We've got to beat them. All over the world, human beings cower before the onslaught of these unearthly enemies, whom no one has ever seen. (laughs) Panic that sweeps around the globe as the great masses of mankind flee blindly in a headlong stampede of hysteria.
1: Okay, let's move on to the next one. The next one is War of the Worlds, 1953, starring Gene Barry and Robinson Directed by Byron Haskin and produced by George Powell. Uh, I, I say it's produced by George Powell because he had a lot to do with the uh, special effects and stuff in this film. But uh, IMDb says a small town in California is attacked by Martians beginning a worldwide invasion. Um, I will start with... I'll let you guys go first. Rick, what do you, what do you think of War of the Worlds?
2: It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That never gets old. Um, <laughs> I, okay. I love this movie. Not as much as I love uh day. The earth stood still, but this movie does have a very special place in my heart because, uh, any of y'all out there who are, you know, maybe, uh, I don't know, maybe 35 years old or older can remember back when Saturday and Sunday afternoon TV was a wasteland of reruns, religious programming, And old movies. Mm -hmm. And that's where I first saw this movie was on our little eight inch black and white TV that my brother and I had in our bedroom uh, because we were rich, I guess. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so I've seen bits and pieces of this movie my entire life. Uh, You know, kind of how later on, after after uh, the advent of cable there's a lot of movies you may have seen the entire movie, but not all of it all at once. Um, because it just happens to be every time you turn it on, it seems like there's another part of that movie playing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: Um, it, that was the way it was with me for this film for a long time. And when you asked me to join, to, to come on this show, uh, it has been, it has been, you know, at least a decade since I'd seen the movie. So I was like, all right, I'm going to watch it again to refresh my memory. And it, I, I found it on on Amazon. I think it's it's kind of hard to find streaming. Um, I had never seen that opening prologue with with them talking about all the planets and how absolutely wrong they were about Saturn and Jupiter. <laughs> yeah, yes. I,
1: that's why I yep. put in my notes. I knew more about the planets when I was nine years old than Mary. <laughs> <Yeah. this area. laughs>
2: um, but it, you know that that right there really just sort of uh drove home to me how far and how fast our knowledge of our, just our immediate neighborhood has improved in just half a century. Um, but anyway, back to the movie. Uh, I love this film. Uh, I think it's a beautiful distillation of the story. Have either of you read the book?
1: I read it years ago, Uh, years ago. I I don't know if I remember much about it, but
2: (laughs) I've read it a couple of times. Um, and listened to a, an audiobook of it once. Uh, I've also. Could practically recite. The uh, the Orson Welles radio broadcast. Because back before. Podcasts. Uh, I had a, a cassette tape. Of that broadcast. And I l- listened to that thing until it finally broke. Mm-hmm. Uh, which w- it was just brilliant. And this movie is kind of a. A distillation of both. Um, and. I I think it moves really well. The the special effects are awesome, especially for 1956. Um, but I think a lot of them hold up pretty well today. If you ignore the fact that you can see wires is no, this is 1953. Yeah. This, this came out in 53. Yeah.
1: Forbidden planet came out in 56.
2: Okay. No. Yeah. But I said, anyway, (laughs) um, I thought this was 53. Um, Oh yeah, I did say. Never mind. Uh, it's, been a, it's been a really weird couple of weeks. I apologize, um, but yeah, this was 1953. Um, you know, high def TV doesn't do a lot of these old movies any favors. Um, so yeah, you can see the the you know sometimes you can see the wires holding up the the Martian uh, tripods and stuff. But I love the fact that they they even though they didn't they couldn't really do tripod you know. Articulated walking three-legged giant monster uh, robot vehicle things, like is in the book. Um, at least they made a they made an homage to it by showing that you know, oh, it's using magnetic fields, and they showed three lines coming down from them once. You know, mm-hmm. it, that's the kind of that's the kind of detail I love. Um, uh, wh- I, I was talking about this. Which which show? Was- Anyway, um, you know, in, in, uh, in Star Trek Generations, ride with me, this will make sense, uh, <laughs> uh, the, the, the Enterprise towards the end gets destroyed. They separate the ship, and then the Star Drive section, there's a, a warp core breach and it blows up. Mm-hmm. And I was not alone in going, why didn't they just eject the core? Uh, because <laughs> nobody thought of that. Uh, when all it would have taken was one line, Jordi, or two lines, Geordi eject the core. It's not working. You know that would have been enough, right? And yeah. you know this is this is that kind of thing. We can't do this, but we want to. We want to touch on that. We want to establish that we're still staying true to the source material as much as we can. And so we've got these these things that are floating on wires, but we're gonna we're gonna say that there's. Three legs on them, so it's still a tripod, sort of. That kind of attention to detail, I think, is wonderful in this movie. Uh, The sound effects of the the alien uh, weaponry are burned into my consciousness from a very young age. I I love that sound. The you know the 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 energy ray later became the photon torpedoes in Star Trek, so I love that even more. Mm -hmm. Um, But you know, all the scenes of the the three guys with the with the the truce flag getting just turned into smoking. Piles on the ground, and 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 the the ending in the church, and, and just every scene of this movie is, is is burned into my consciousness from from childhood. And so, while there are certain aspects of this movie that I have now since learned are eh, not so great, uh, I, I still love this movie. Okay, Troy, what did you think?
4: Well, um, I I. I was doing dishes at the same time I was watching this movie <laughs> and it was behind me and I kept turning around and watching it. And eventually uh, when you said about the three guys in the dust, I just stopped doing dishes and just kept watching. So I was like, oh, this is the kind of movie we're dealing with. Oh, OK, great. And I was I was enthralled. I, I really was. Um, I. I liked how uh, bleak it got and how really how dark it got. Um, I I mean, I I could be wrong, but I don't think that was really the norm of movies at that time, uh, being so uh, a feeling of of hopelessness um, that really our our heroes uh, kind of, Decided this is this is the end we're we're done for there's nothing we can do and I liked that whereas um, Dadier stood still didn't quite maybe show a realistic uh, version of what would happen with an alien invasion this one did I mean there was riots there was looting there was you know. People getting beat up and pulled from their trucks in the middle of the street, and 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 you know, and like you were saying, the the special effects for uh, even now, I mean, they're they're really cool looking, and it's a very uh, there's just a feeling of uh, uh, foreboding and and a feeling of this menace of these aliens, and uh, yeah, I thought it was I thought it was great. This was And that's coming from the only thing I know about the War of the Worlds other than, you know, the – in the radio broadcast supposedly causing panic was uh, the Tom Cruise movie. And so this was uh, a a nice surprise.
1: I put down in my notes – okay, I've gone back and forth. I actually watched (laughs) the movie twice because I was going back and forth because I I put down in my notes that I didn't didn't care for the movie. But – that's not a fair statement because there are a lot of things in the movie that I did like. I do like all the special effects stuff because I like I like 50s style special effects. Uh, I like seeing the way that they used to do things before they had CGI to rely on for, for everything. Um, all that stuff was great. I didn't like the people. I didn't like any of the people <laughs> in this movie. It was like... Because th- th- there's a scene where they're in like in a bunker and there's a bunch of people in there and they were looking at the ship out there. The ship's already killed. I don't know, three or four people out there and the general comes in and he makes like some joke. And then this, the woman walks by and says, how would you like your coffee? And like, it's the end of the world out there. And you're asking him how he likes his coffee, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that kind of stuff. I don't know. It just, it just got on my nerves, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, as far as what it was for a a, a, a uh, classic science fiction film that paved the way for other stuff in the future, I did like that, but there's just some stuff about the acting that just didn't sit well with me in this. but and I'm like you, Rick. I saw I had the cassette tape when I was a kid. I listened to probably a thousand times <laughs> uh, I wore it out. When I was eleven or twelve, I must have listened to it a thousand times. And I think you you can you can you can find it on YouTube now. Oh yeah, it's 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 not hard to
2: find anymore.
1: Yeah, um, so, it, like I said, it wasn't it wasn't the special effects. I'm a guy that likes all that, you know, all the old uh, special effects type stuff. It's just, it's just the, like like you said at the beginning, the the narrator stuff. Now I know in the '50s they didn't know as much about the solar system as we know now, but he made some claims that were just. I mean, like he said that that Mercury is hot enough that it would be molten rock. I'm like, well, if it would be molten rock, then
2: the planet would be molten rock. It would <laughs> Well, well, no. He, he he said it's hot enough to melt for for to melt lead. To melt lead, okay, okay. Which that's that is absolutely true. Uh, but, but the fact he that he said about that, like the, the surface of and Jupiter, Saturn and Saturn had, had, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: the surface of Jupiter doesn't have a surface, not as far as we know. You we know, we've never landed there, but you know, it's a gas giant, so. Effectively, yeah, it would and, go through it. But. <laughs>
4: and and didn't one of the planets, he said, has like, uh, volcanoes or lava or
1: something? That he was talking about Jupiter. He said Jupiter's surface was it covered
4: it was, yeah, yeah, volcanoes. yeah. I'm like, yeah. Well, no, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is fundamentally not that. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> but uh, also
2: remember, in 1953, we didn't even have a satellite yet. So yeah, that's <laughs> I,
1: yeah. I, I mean, I know we know a lot true. more about the planets now, but I think they they just made up some things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, now
2: I do want to I do want to comment on your your the, uh, the, the general being uh, being kind of nonchalant. Um, I think that was on purpose um, because. Before they started attacking the the uh, the, uh, the Martians, they were like, "Well, we're the strongest arm, you know, we're the strongest military in the world. These things are in for a shock." Uh, and it isn't until the you know the the nuclear attack does absolutely nothing that they realize just how screwed they are. Yeah. Um, yeah so I, yeah. I kind of thought that that scene was was. Uh, it, it was less a matter of don't they get it and more a matter of here is our hubris before we're about to be knocked down to one last gasp before humanity goes out for good, which was the whole premise of the book. Yeah. Uh, now, the, the the Tom Cruise movie, I have to say I didn't hate it. I rewatched it for this. Yeah, uh, I you know. I haven't seen it since it came out. I saw it in the movies in the movie theater. Uh, I haven't watched it since. I haven't felt the need to. But it wasn't terrible. And it did a couple of things that uh, previous adaptations couldn't. Uh, The book talks about this noise that the walking machines make that wasn't as much a weapon on its own. And they did that in the Tom Cruise. And they they did a really good job with it. That that horrible horn noise that the things made. Mm -hmm. Uh, The book also talks about that the, that the Martians were using people as food. And that was in the
0: movie.
2: Mm, um, right. I think the, the biggest problem the movie had is, is just that the, you know, when HG Wells wrote the book, germ theory was, was cutting edge technology. People were just starting to realize that diseases were caused by microorganisms. Um, and so he put that into his science fiction novel as something revolutionary. Um, you know, Now, 100 years later, it's not that big a deal. And we're like, really? They don't have space Space suits (laughs) or gas masks? (laughs) Um, So I don't think – I think maybe it was a mistake to try to do the – try to update the film while keeping that ending. But not having that ending would be such a violation of the story. I think it's kind of a catch-22 and we should just either stop trying to update it or, you know, if you want to do a War of the Worlds that takes place in 18th century London, go for it. Um, or 19th century London, I would love to see that. But stop trying to bring it into the modern world because it makes about as much sense as freaking signs did. <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, the, the okay. So the Tom Cruise movie, the Spielberg version, is not a remake of this. It's just a readaptation of the book. And yeah. w- w- I do like about that movie. Um, it's not focusing on the military. Is focusing on the regular people, you know, which is how it was. Yeah, and the, and you know, a lot of the stuff that that we are flat out told in the '50s version is stuff that is all rumor in the in the Spielberg version because there's one scene where they're, they they hear one person say, "Oh yeah, I hear they they're not getting any of this in London," and then they hear another person say, "Oh, you know what? London's getting it worse than we are." You know that kind of stuff because because they don't know. They don't have all the information that the military would have. The military has all, almost no part in that story, as far as like the regular conversations. You know, they're yeah. all there to tell tell them, hey, go this way, go that way, or whatever. You know. So I did like that part, and it was it was a decent movie. I liked I liked the movie, but um, yeah, you're right about it uh, not working in a modern setting. That time that type of story. Now when when that came out. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of Asylum Films. I've talked about it on the show before, but Asylum Films is this film company that likes to, um, whenever a big blockbuster film comes out, they like to make something that they can <laughs> rip, put on rip the shelf off? right next to it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> rip off, yep. Yeah. They were big when Blockbuster was still out because, oh, yeah. <laughs> you put War of the Worlds on the shelf at Blockbuster and right next to it would be their version of War of the Worlds. And it did take place in the 1800s, but, um, when when the day the earth stood still, the 2008 version came out, they had a film that came out called The Day the Earth Stopped. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, when Snakes on a Plane came out, they came out with Snakes on a Train, you know, stuff like that. So, Transmorphers, yeah, <laughs> they're terrible movies, don't watch them. But, um, <laughs> I got a few facts about War of the Worlds that I wrote down. Uh, The Martian War machines were originally going to be walking tripods, we talked about this, as they were depicted in the novel, but uh, George Powell did not know uh, how a tripod could walk, so instead he went with uh, flying machines. The Martian War machines had about 20 wires running to each one, some were for suspension and maneuvering, while others carried uh, power to the various lights and mechanisms. This was produced before there were lightweight circuits and sophisticated radio controls. Uh, George Powell initially planned to portray the Martians and their fighting machines similar, similarly to how they appear in the original novel. However, after being informed by a United States Army technical advisor that the tripods, as they are portrayed in the 1897 novel, would pose no real threat to a 1950s-era human military, he opted to change the fighting machines. Uh, namely, Powell chose to introduce the atom bomb-resistant deflector shields. Uh, none of the original Martian war machines exist today they were made out of copper and after production they were reportedly donated to a boy Scout oh, copper drive
4: that's yeah
1: bad that happens a lot with those old because they didn't know that people were gonna want this stuff 60 years later <laughs> you know 70 years later yeah um like Rick said the sound effects of the Martian war machines heat ray uh, were creating well a lot of these sound effects eventually went on to become sound effects in other things like Star Trek and, and stuff like that. But the heat ray was created from three electric guitars being played backwards. And the sound of the Martian uh, screaming after Forrester hit it with a mi- was a mixture of a microphone scraping along some dry ice and a woman's scream being played backward. And uh, and like I said, a lot of these sound effects became uh, stock stock effects that are still used today uh filming was halted briefly two days into filming when paramount discovered that its filming rights of the novel were only for a silent version whoa <laughs> yeah they, <laughs> they, they they quickly resolved it through the kind permission of the HG Wells estate <laughs> and probably some money <laughs> uh the name of the protagonist Dr. Clayton Forrester was borrowed by by the popular series Mystery Science Theater 3000 to be the yeah. name of their villainous scientist. Uh, Ann Robinson is the only member of the cast to reprise the same character in the 1988 weekly TV series War of the Worlds 35 Years Later. Which I never saw. I
2: Wait, never did you, watch it?
1: you never watched it?
2: No. I didn't All even right. hear about it until... Well, when I finally heard about it was in 1991-ish uh, when I was in the Air Force and I was too busy. <laughs> so <laughs> I didn't see it. <laughs> yeah.
1: All right. Um, the third one on our slate for tonight. Well,
2: are, are we gonna rank? Are we gonna rank this one?
1: Oh yeah. Go ahead. Rank it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. I, I am not gonna give this one a five, uh, even though I love this movie very much. Um, something I didn't remember from it, and watching it this last time, re- it really stood out. Was all of the religious stuff at the end.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, yes.
2: And that HG Wells was a very famous atheist and he did not put any of that stuff in his book and it was not in any, it, you know, it wasn't in the, in the, the radio broadcast. Uh, and it was so heavy handed, uh, that it kind of spoiled it a little bit for me. Um, so I'm, I'm going to give, I've, I've got to give this one a, a 3.5. It, it was a, Great movie, but the those last few minutes where they just really had to drive home the God saved man by his wisdom and blah blah blah. I was like, oh jeez.
1: <laughs> yeah, thank the Hayes Code for that. <laughs> and they did a lot of that. So go ahead, Troy.
4: Um. Uh, yeah, I, I when when it came to that part at the very end, I actually said out loud, like, "Well, that took a weird turn."
0: <laughs> um, <laughs>
4: <laughs> so out of uh, for me uh, out of uh, five uh, tripods um, <laughs> I would I would give it I think yeah I'm I'm at a three um I I really I really enjoyed it uh, for what it was um I mean like I said when I was, I was talking about it I enjoyed how kind of dark and bleak it got. Um, but that being said, this will probably be the only time I watch it, so.
1: Yeah, I think, I think I'm at a three and a half, just, just because, like I said, some of the acting, I did, did not sit well with me. The special effects were good for the time, I think it was an important movie for films that came after that, but I'd have to, I'd stay at three and a half.
3: Imagine yourself as one of the crew of this faster than light spaceship of the future sharing their curiosity to know the unknown, their tension, their readiness for inconceivable adventures. Sir, we're being radar scanned. United Planets Cruiser C-57D, J.J. Adams commanding. Who are you? Morbius of the Bellerophon. Dr. Morbius, my orders are to survey the situation on Altair IV. Commander, if you sat down on this planet, I warn you that I cannot be answerable for the safety of your ship or your crew. When you reach the Forbidden Planet, you will meet Dr. Morbius, played by Walter Pigeon. The doctor is sole owner of this fabulous world. Anne Francis is his alluring daughter, Alta, who has never seen a young man till she meets Commander Adams, played by talented Leslie Nielsen. Come on in. Didn't bring my bathing suit. What's a bathing suit? Oh, murder. You will meet a charming character in The Robot able to produce on order 10 tons of lead or a slinky evening gown. Always at your service. It must be the loveliest, softest thing you've ever made for me. And fit in all the right places with lots and lots of star sapphires. Star sapphires take a week to crystallize properly. Would diamond or emeralds too? You explore all the wonders of a vanished civilization. You travel deep down into the heart of the Forbidden Planet to discover the incredible marvels of this lost genius race. These magnificent scenes in striking Eastman color stagger the imagination. 20 miles. Look down, gentlemen, are you afraid? 7,800 levels. Yet the wonders of the planet Altair 4 conceal a strange and evil force, unknown, irresistible.
1: The last one on our list is Forbidden Planet from 1956, starring Walter Pigeon and Frances Leslie Nielsen, and uh, directed by Fred Wilcox. Leslie Nielsen! <laughs> Yeah, yeah. When, I, when I when I saw this, I saw. Well, I watched the trailer before I watched the movie, and I was like Leslie Nielsen. <laughs> well, you kids never, don't realize
2: he was a serious actor before the
1: airplane movie. <laughs> I never saw him do anything serious. Now I know I have seen a uh, clip of him auditioning to play Pharaoh in the Ten Commandments, but that's the only time that I've ever seen him do anything serious, and uh, so. The fact that he was in this, you know, I kept expecting him to make a farting noise or something like that. (laughs) No, he was was a very, very successful
2: leading man in the 50s and 60s.
1: This is a movie that I've heard of many, many times, but never actually got around to watching it. So I was glad that, that we put it on the list. I liked the movie. I especially liked that we didn't have a bunch of scenes at the beginning where we're watching the crew take off from Earth and saying goodbye to their family and all that kind of stuff. Because it's almost it's almost episodic. It's almost like we're watching an episode of a of a series. Like this is the middle part. You know, um, we didn't we didn't see where they took off. It just picks up. Mm-hmm. You know, at the beginning of their mission. You know, and I like that. Uh, I thought that was a great idea. But the the plot is that Earth hasn't heard from one of their ships that came out this this way of the galaxy for. A couple of years, you know, so they send another crew out, another ship out to find out what happened to him. And um, what they find is that is he the commanding officer? Is the is uh, what's his name?
2: I didn't. know Can you be a little more nervous. vague?
1: The the, the guy <laughs> that they find on the planet was he was he oh, the commanding Mobius. officer? Yeah. Uh, they find, I know. I, I don't remember don't... if he was the commanding officer or if he was the scientist anyway they find him and they find his daughter everybody everybody else is dead they've been killed by some kind of monster uh some kind of an attack so there's a lot of stuff here that audiences hadn't seen before you know the uh, it's it's a story about humans but it's not anywhere near earth at any point uh it's a story about a flying saucer but we're the aliens you know, <laughs> but that was a cool touch. So let me go. And Troy, I'll start with you. What did you think of uh, forbidden planet?
4: Yeah, it was okay. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> <told the> <laughs> I right. had, had to do it. <laughs> um, Oh, you know, it, it felt like when I was watching this, like this feels like an episode of star Trek. Like it really does. Um, and it, it's interesting that it predates star Trek by a few years. Um, but this... I I, I enjoyed it. Um, but this is... Out of the three that we've talked about, this is the most, like, science fiction-y, like, that stereotypical 50 science fiction that you think of. I mean, there's a ridiculous-looking robot, and there's laser guns, and there's, you know, uh, uh, cheesy sound effects all the time. Um, and... and and so I, I enjoyed it for what it was, but I and I enjoyed watching Leslie Nielsen. I got a kick out of that. Um, out of out of the three, I would say I I enjoyed this the least of all because of how uh, when, when you think of a stereotypical fifty science fiction film, this is the kind of stuff you think of, and so it was it was pretty cheesy. I'm not gonna lie.
2: <laughs> <laughs> all right rick i i can't argue with that um and you're absolutely right it, it not only does it does it play like an episode of star trek uh matt jeffries who was the the production designer the art, artistic director of star trek uh took a lot of cues from from forbidden planet this this it def- you know it definitely shows yeah um so like the first time i saw this movie oh geez i don't remember how long ago it's been um I, I I was more than amazed at how Star Trek like it is, um, and you're right, it is some classic 50s cheese, but it's it's about as good as as the 50s cheese could get. Um, <laughs> you know, it had a huge budget, nineteen one million nine hundred thousand dollars, uh, which again for 1956 is just a staggering amount of money. Um, its scale was unlike anything seen before. Uh, you've got "quote unquote" real actors: Walter Pidgeon, Anne Francis, Leslie Nielsen. Uh, you've got uh, a couple, a Star Trek connection in Warren Stevens, who was uh, Doc Lieutenant Ostro on the ship. He went on to play uh, Rojan in the Star Trek episode "By Any Other Name." If you're a TOS geek, you'll know what I'm talking about. Um, also had Richard Anderson, Anderson, who would play Oscar Goldman in the Six Million Dollar Man was chief Quinn. Uh, You had a ship that was set up like a naval vessel, which was a, was kind of a, a, a first and was something that Roddenberry cribbed very blatantly. Um, Yeah. And I liked how it start, like you said, I like how it started in the middle of the story. It, you know, there's what they call a late point of attack. Which is the, the things are already in motion when you join the show. You don't need the launch from Earth and stuff. The voiceover establishes this has been going on forever, and this is just one of many ships. And so, uh, you know, you don't need to waste time with with a whole lot of backstory. Um, you know, it is it it, and, and it's the you know this is no great revelation. This is the tempest in space. The 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 you know they. They took Shakespeare's *The Tempest* and they put it on this planet and added the science fiction stuff around it. Um, I enjoy this movie. It does get a little tiresome at times. I will grant you, it, it's not an easy watch. Um, I, you know, I, I'll if I need to watch it for a reason, I'll sit down and watch it all the way through. But usually, if I'm watching this movie, it takes a couple of days to get through it because it <laughs> it does get to be a bit much after a while. Um, but, you know, it's not any of the actors' faults. They play it deadly serious, but not overdone, I don't think. Um, the effects, for the most part, hold up. There's some really impressive map painting work and some, some really cool uh, miniature work. The id monster, if you're a fan of Johnny Quest, it's kind of hard not to go, <laughs> hey, that looks like I saw that thing. Um, <laughs> but you know it it's a fun movie and yeah by by modern standards i don't you know i don't think this really stands the test of time as well as i would like it to uh but i do enjoy it a lot the
1: the mood of the movie goes up and down and up i mean it it changes so much like you've got scenes where morbius anytime morbius is on the screen walter pigeon just has to Explain everything. He has <laughs> he monologues a lot, you know. Oh and that's
2: huge a, bite marks in the scenery when he's on camera. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: and then you've got and then you've got scenes with uh Robbie the robot and and the ship's cook that are like comedy scenes where hey make me some whiskey, you know. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and then you've got the scenes with the girl, like like <laughs> the guys on the ship want to pass this girl around like a football, you know. She gets kissed little by a little rapey. Yeah. A little <laughs> <Yeah>. rapy. <laughs> And then uh, and then you've got and you know and then you've got the the, the scenes where somebody on the ship you can hear them screaming because they're being murdered by this monster so it's like it goes up and down and it's, it's it's comedy it's horror it's romance it's comedy it's horror it's romance you know back and forth so uh, and overall I enjoyed the movie you know j- just as a whole it's just I, I was like man <laughs> I'm really tired <laughs> watching <Yeah>. this movie. <laughs>
2: Now did you know and I I'm, I'm trying to find on IMDB here that they don't seem to have any tri- any trivia well I guess they do there it is the guy who designed uh, Robbie the robot is also the same man who designed the robot for lost in space
1: yeah I read yeah. that and I think I, didn't they I, have, you can see it
2: mm-hmm. yeah
1: <laughs> Did't they have? a, like, Robbie, was it Robbie reused in an episode of Lost oh, yeah in Space? Yeah, he yeah. showed
2: up on Lost in Space at least once, maybe twice. I, I It's hard for me to remember. Yeah. But, uh... Let me see, does it... Uh, nah, nah, nah. I'm looking through the, the trivia now. You would think
1: a guy, a guy that talks the way that Morbius talks, if he created a robot, he would name it something other than Robbie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Um, but it, but still, you know, at the time, you know, if you again, if you look at some of the, the, the serials from the 50s and the, the 40s and the 50s, uh, robots were basically, you know, like tin cans with dryer ducts for arms and stuff. So mm-hmm. the, the Robbie the Robot uh, it, it cost $125,000 uh, to make, which in 1956 was a ton of money mm-hmm. um, for a single film prop. And, uh, and I mean, it, 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 holds up. Robbie is one of the most famous props in history because he kept showing up in movies and TV shows and stuff. Um, you know, and then the, the robot from lost in space was, was, uh, you know, from the same guy, which, you know, it's kind of like the same guy that designed the horror in star Trek. If you ever watched there, there's a, a, a twilight zone episode where there's a creature kind of like it. same dude, you know, they kind of, there were these guys that had the, the, you know, they, they, they sort of had this niche that they filled. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I, uh, of the three, I think this one is the, is, is kind of the silliest. Um, and then there's that whole bit with, with uh, uh, what, what's the girl's name? Anne Is it? Uh, no. Um, she's got some kind of real space kind of name. Altera. That's right. <laughs> Altera. Cause they're on Altera. Yeah. Um, you know, she falls in love with, with, Leslie Nielsen's character for no real good reason Nope. <laughs> because he's the leading man yeah. <laughs> yeah. The you know the,
1: the, the thing about Robbie um, I mean it, it was an it was a nice touch but he did not really serve a lot of purpose in the story because Robbie is mostly there to have scenes with the cook where he makes him some whiskey. You know, they, 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 a lot of his scenes have to do with that, but he's there to show at the beginning that he will not do anything to kill Morbius. Yeah. So that at the end, we can see that he won't kill the monster because the monster is Morbius. So, he, I mean, he's just there to, 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 to show that end, you know. Um, other than that, you know, like I said, it's, 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 a, it's a gag with the ship's cook. so <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but, but um, but yeah. Th- uh, so the the gist of the story is that the they're on this planet. They go to this planet looking for the crew of this other ship, and like I said, Morbius is the only one left. Him and, him and his daughter, and uh, Morbius shows them these computers that were built by a society that had been there millions of years ago or something like that, and the crew of the original ship had been killed by a monster and they're kind of alluding that this monster may be left over from the original species or whatever and it turns out to be that uh morbius's unconscious is coming to life because he's been using these computers and stuff and and it's killing people and which is essentially what happened to the, I think they're called the Krell, isn't the Krell, the original uh, yeah. aliens that lived on the yes. planet? Yeah. 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 So uh yeah. that's kinda what happened to them too. They their uncon their subconscious came to life and, and killed everybody. So so they uh he activates uh self destruct, they get off the planet in time for the planet to explode. Of course Morbius is killed with it. And it kind of seems like this is set up to be the first part of a series. Did they ever make sequels to this?
2: Not that I'm aware of, no. I didn't read of any that, that they did. The, well, well, the, the whole sequel thing is a fairly recent phenomenon in film making.
1: Yeah, um, yeah, you we know, I make mean, sequels that,
2: or we make TV shows out of stuff. So. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I guess like the the creature from the black you know, there were horror sequels, um, but not a lot of like mainstream movies got sequels back then.
1: I know that they there was there was talk of making a remake in sometime in the last ten years or so that that fell through because of a if I if I read it right there was some kind of a merger and the merger caused some of the scripts to kind of fall through the cracks and that was one of them so it didn't happen.
2: Yeah, I don't know that it needs to. I mean, I mean, okay. I, I saw a comment on Facebook today. I think maybe it was one of your conversations, Sean, talking about uh, solo and and how it 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 people were saying it didn't need to happen and and you were saying, well, does any film need to happen? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But you know, some, some films really say what they have to say. And I don't think there's any, any, you know, real reason to update or redo it. Um, Forbidden planet really didn't break a whole lot of ground. Uh, It it broke a lot of ground technically, uh, you know, with the, the look and the feel and the visuals, uh, but the story is really not anything to write home about. So I, you know, aside from trying to cash in on the title, I don't really see that there's a point to redoing it at, at any point. Yeah,
1: yeah. Other than whatever studio owns it and says, "Hey, we own this property. Let's make some money off of it." Yeah. <laughs> that's, uh, that's what they would, that's what they did with the Day the Earth is Still. You know, hey,
2: we we own this.
1: Let's let's do it. So.
2: Yeah, and look how well that worked out. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs>
1: Here are some facts about Forbidden Planet. Uh, the film marked one of the first times a science fiction project had received a large budget. We talked about that. The genre had rarely been taken seriously by studio executives and sci-fi films generally received the most meager of budgets. The critical success of this film convinced many in the film industry that well-funded science fiction projects would be successful. Um... Star Trek creator Gene Roddenberry has been quoted as saying that this film was a major inspiration for that series. Perhaps not accidentally, Warren Stevens, who plays Doc, would later be a guest star in... uh, By any other name, as you said. Yeah. Um, yeah, Where the true shape of the alien Kelvins, like the Krell in this movie, was implied to be extremely non-humanoid but never shown. 1701, which is the serial number of the Starship Enterprise allegedly comes from the clock marked 1701 when c57d enters orbit around altair 4
2: i have a problem with that particular bit of trivia but uh,
1: (laughs) (laughs) i'll Uh, let it go (laughs) the movie was filmed on the same stage in which the wizard of oz had been filmed 17 years earlier the set of altera's garden is a reuse of the munchkin village from the from the wizard of oz Uh, the model of the flying saucer style Earth space cruiser was retained by the MGM prop department and subsequently used in a number of productions on the MGM lot including the Twilight episode to serve man Uh, Robbie Robbie the Twilight Zone episode what did I say?
2: Just Twilight and that's a whole different franchise
1: (laughs) the the Twilight Zone to serve man Um, Robbie the Robot his ground transporter and crew uniforms would be used on the Twilight Zone as well uh, this was Leslie Nielsen's motion picture debut. The planet on which Edward and Altera Morbius uh, live is Altair IV, which according to Star Trek Deep Space Nine is also a Federation planet. Uh, director <laughs> Fred Wilcox consulted with scientists uh, before making the decision that the planet's sky would be green. In an interview, when asked why the film was so successful, both audiences... With both audiences and critics, and Francis responded from the first day on the set, we were told to take it seriously. Well, of course you take it seriously. I mean...
2: (laughs) Well, it was Uh, a different world back then. Uh, Yeah. The the studio system kind of lent itself to both abuses and people who, you know... Your job wasn't online, necessarily, if a movie you made didn't work because you had five more that you were obligated to do. Right. So it was kind of easy to, to phone it in back then. Easier, anyway, to phone it in back then.
1: Right. The famous poster of the film shows a menacing robot carrying a struggling pretty girl, a staple of monster movie posters from the 50s. In fact, no such scene occurs in the film itself, and the robot portrayed in the poster is, of course, actually the very likable Robbie, the robot. Uh, in preparation for the film, uh, in prepara- in preparing this film for for production, excuse me, I can't talk now. MGM <laughs> borrowed a print of this Island Earth from Universal Pictures. Did you got? Have you guys ever seen this Island Earth?
2: Oh, it's so bad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The only time so I've ever bad. watched
1: it was an episode of Mystery Science Theater <laughs> <Yeah>. three thousand. <laughs> uh, According to various sources, when the crew members are firing at the monster and it roars menacingly, moving its head from side to side before it ultimately kills two of the crew members, the actions of the monster are an inside joke and actually mimic those of Leo the Lion, the MGM mascot, who
0: appears (laughs) at the beginning of this
1: and every other MGM films. Uh, The body count was seven, the Tiger, five crew members, and and Morbius. So... Which I forgot about the tiger. Yeah, there were there was a tiger that apparently yeah. uh, she had some kind of psychic power that it
2: wouldn't harm her. Yeah, but she was there never was, in the same building with the animal. It was it was they were composited together. Oh yeah yeah I'm sure.
4: <laughs> there was oddly a lot of earth creatures on that
1: planet <laughs> for some reason. Right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Deer so and a monkey. <laughs> what do you guys rate this movie, Rick?
2: Uh, this is a hard one because I mean, it is a classic and it has stood the test of time, but I think it's, I think it's more one of those classics. Like I was mentioning earlier that it's a classic because people have considered it a classic for so long. No one questions it. Um, it's not a bad movie and again compared to what was going on at the time it's a lot better than most but yeah this is this is you know high grade gorgonzola uh (laughs) i i I gotta give it a a three all right troy uh
4: out of uh out of five i guess we'll go robbie the robots on this one (laughs) um I gotta. I'm, I'm giving it like a, a two. I can appreciate it for what it is. I mean, it it, it was a big inspiration for Star Trek, which I can definitely uh, approve of. Um, but when you boil it when you boil it down, like you said, it's just a it's just a big mound of, of
1: uh, cheese. It really is. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think I'd have to give it a three. I would give it a three and a half if. If, like I said, the mood wasn't so... It it wasn't like a roller coaster, you know, where we can't decide if we want to be a a comedy or a horror or an action movie or whatever, you know. If it didn't go back and forth like that, I'd probably give it a three and a half. But uh, I'll give it a solid three. That pretty much covers uh, this episode. Next month, Troy and I will get back to the IMDb list of the 100 Greatest Movies of All Time.
4: Back to to it.
1: What, what, what'd you say it cut
4: out I, I said back to it
1: yeah 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 wait till you hear the three that we're going to talk about <laughs> well two of them are all right um weathering heights from 1939 um, and then uh, oh, the maltese boy. falcon from uh 1941 and double indemnity from 1944 so if you're keeping up with us then go and check those those three films out uh i don't think any of them are available on Netflix well the Maltese Falcon may be on Netflix. The other two you're probably gonna have to rent. They're not very expensive though I think I watched them both for like two bucks each um,
4: you, you can you can find them in other means if you look hard enough.
1: yeah 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 <laughs> <laughs> Now one thing I did notice that the three that we talked about tonight if you haven't gone and watched them yet um, they I think all of them are available on archive.org which is if you have not visited archive.org that's a great website if you like old stuff because that's 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 well for one thing i host a podcast there but also <laughs> yeah it's got our that's, podcast on it so there
4: you that's go that's where my very first podcast is the very first episode is on archive
1: oh really yeah well, they, they've also got all these classic video games that you can go and you can just play them right there on the site, like Pac-Man, and you know all the all the old really? kind of stuff. Yeah, you can play all that stuff on there. And then they've got um, they've got a lot of movies, like like really old movies and stuff. They're all on there. And then there's there's uh, audio books, and and it's all free. You know, wow, it's, it's pretty cool. So archive.org. Go check that out. They are not paying me to say that. (laughs) (laughs) But they don't charge me to host the show there, so I guess, in effect, they are paying me. (laughs) Uh, Okay, so, uh, Rick, thanks for being here.
2: My pleasure, anytime. um, Except for, like, Wuthering Heights, you can do that. (laughs) People can find you at... Uh, simply Syndicated dot com, uh, where you can check out my shows. The uh, seven, oh Jesus, <laughs> sorry, I just fell apart here for a second. Uh, the seventh Chevron, Starbase sixty six, Simply Syndicated movie news. What else do I do over there? Is this, 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 this? I'm probably forgetting something but I'll slap my forehead later. But yeah, I'm I'm all over the place <laughs> over there. All right, and uh and Troy, thank you for being here.
4: Yep, no problem.
1: And you uh, can, can find to World War G at
4: at uh, worldwarg.podbean.com or right here on the Cosmic Potato Network
1: alright and make sure you guys leave us a review on iTunes send us an email let us know what you think Uh, you can write us at mail at cosmicpotato.com or you can send us a a text or a voicemail to area code 205-642-8380 and that's it for us be sure to join us next time on the show
2: that's it Bye-bye. Bye. Bye to Barada, Nikto. <laughs>